Well, good evening. I had a real uh, thrill come to church tonight. I uh, was given a car to drive, and um, I missed a turn. And I found out that in, in um, Nassau here, you don't have square blocks. When you make a turn, then you have to make another turn, and then you make another turn to try to get back to where you're supposed to be, and you wind up several blocks away. And I think I was circling the church, but I couldn't find it. So I was glad I finally got here. Really uh, privileged to be here tonight. Tonight we want to talk on the subject, the world is ripe on the harvest, <clears throat> and talk about some of the um, wonderful things that God is doing right now to reach the world for Jesus Christ. But first, uh, because we had some technical difficulties last night, I'd like to show um, uh, two videos. The first video is a ministry update of um, some of the missionaries that you support. I've made a report on a lot of them already, but this is something our staff put together, and um, and hopefully we can um, look at that. Um, And then we'll look at the uh, Pioneer Christian Hospital.
the uh, hospital, I just got a, an email today, and uh, there were about 12 people that found the Lord uh, since Sunday over there, which is a great blessing to us. One of the greater blessings is we now have a, in Global Outreach, we have four radio broadcasts that are heard around the world. We have one in um, uh, Bangladesh, the Audubon, which you guys support, and we appreciate that. That ministry's been going on for 37 years, and thousands and thousands of people have found Christ, and churches have been formed because of all the people that found Christ through that. And then we have one in France that goes all over the French-speaking world, including um, Europe and uh, Caribbean and North Africa. And then we have one in Quebec, because the French is different. Then we have Canada's National Bible Hour, which is the oldest Christian broadcast in North America. And then we have the new one, this radio from the camp. We just installed a radio station there, and we've just been able to purchase a 300-foot antenna, which will allow us to reach about 300,000 people in the area around the the hospital. And the nice thing about it is we'll be able to not only preach the gospel and see people saved, but we'll also be able to uh, give health uh, updates and um, community news. There's no radio station up there, and, uh, but people have radios. And um, it's amazing. Uh, Joe started this station, I think, it was, I think it was January 17th, they went on the air. It's 106.3 up there. And um, he's already having people coming up he never met before, and uh, they're asking about the, the station. And one guy says, I'm not getting any sleep. And, and Joe asked, well, why aren't you getting any sleep? He said, well, because I'm listening to radio at 2 in the morning. And um, so th- these are very positive things, and God is continuing to expand the footprint of the hospital. And it's just a miracle of God that that hospital is there. It's the only Christian hospital in the whole uh, country. And um, God is blessing that in a mighty way. Well, tonight, I want to uh, focus on, on the subject at hand. And I have some statistics to start this off with that I, I think to me are really uh, mind-blowing blow, mind uh, in this day and age. Um, these statistics come from a book called Church Planning Movement by David Garrison. And what he's saying is that annual global growth rate is currently 2.6% for evangelicals. In other words, each, each year we're two, almost a little less than 3% we're increasing. 1.2% for historical Christians, that's, that would be uh, just uh, Christianity, uh, people who are not evangelicals, but the fact that the Christian church, the people that are called Christians, which would include the Catholic church, would be increasing. And then they have a 1.2% for the world population growth. And then the Islam is 1.9%. So evangelicals were 2.6 and the Muslims are 1.9. And they know from the research that the majority of Islamic growth is through birth. An estimated 96% of Muslim growth is merely biological. Since Islamic tradition values large families... This inflates the numbers in their favor. And you have to remember that their conversions are <laughs> coerced conversions, right? <laughs> it's sort of like at the end of a sword that they get converted. And um, so I, I was interested in that. Then the majority of evangelical growth is through conversion. And uh, the conversion rates are like this annually. The 950,000 people become Muslims. 
Annually, 2.7 million people become Christians. And for every one Muslim conversion, there are three Christian conversions around the world. It's estimated that 82,000 new believers are added to the body of Christ every day. 82,000. What a great opportunity that is. And it's also 85% of the world. These are wonderful statistics. 85% of the world has a Bible available in their native language. 85%. Wycliffe and other organizations have been translating the Bible, and there's only 15% to go. And I think that's outstanding. We also have Christian radio reaches 93% of the world. Christian radio reaches 93% of the world that people can tune in and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's amazing that we have this opportunity. And it seems like most of the world today um, are oral listeners and oral learners. And we're just now in the, in the global movement starting to understand, um, you know, here in the West, we're sort of like the didactic learners. You know, we, we have a book and we, we read it and we understand it and we apply it and that kind, of, uh, that kind of a methodology. But a lot of people are illiterate and can't read the Bible. And even some with PhDs who have come out of these oral cultures actually learn better by listening than they do by studying and reading. And so that's a great statistic. Christian radio reaches 93% of the world. There have been 6.5 billion viewers of the Jesus film, the Campus Crusade film. 6.5 billion. It's estimated that when Father Zakara, a Christian apologist who debates Islamic clerics, is on television in the Middle East, he gets 60 million viewers every time he gets on TV. 60 million. And in Iran, there are 7 to 9 million Persians watch satellite broadcasts of Hormat Sherat, the Billy Graham of Iran. That constitutes over 10% of the potential viewership in all of Iran. The Lord is working in this day and age. The gospel is going out in this day and age. I always think of the verse in Matthew 24, verse 14, where it says, the gospel will go to the ends of the earth, and then comes the end. I believe we're getting close to the end. I believe the Lord is coming soon. And for me, the sooner the better. And I believe that we need to do things now. I think if we want to do something for the cause of Christ, we have to do it now. Now is the time to get busy in God's work. Now is the time to share the gospel. Now is the time to, to reach out to those who are lost, those who have never heard, those who need to hear the gospel, those who need to be discipled, those who need to be built up in their faith. And I think those statistics to me are very encouraging. And I believe we are at the end of the age. And I do believe that God is going to come back soon. Now tonight, because um, we want to look at the methodology, I think it's a good thing to do to look at the methodology of missions. How do we reach people who are not saturated with the gospel or not around Christians? And there are more and more of those in the world. And uh, tonight I wanted to look at a passage 
briefly in Acts chapter 17. It's really, um, uh, it's really the second missionary journey of the, of the Apostle Paul. And um, on that journey, he's, uh, remember, he's coming over and he's, he's um, in Asia and he's trying to, to go north and the Holy Spirit prevents him from going north and he hears this Macedonian call to come across and uh, he goes across and uh, goes to Philippi. And if you remember the story, he stays there for a while and uh, gets himself arrested because of his uh, gospel preaching and teaching. And remember, he's put in prison, and uh, in the middle of the night, they put him actually in the inner prison, um, probably the place that's the most secure in that prison. And at 12 at night, they're, they're uh, singing, and, um, and all of a sudden... There's an earthquake and the walls fall down and the jailer wakes up and is going to commit suicide and, and Paul says, well, don't hurt yourself. Um, we're all here. And uh, because of that, the jailer gets uh, converted. Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be, not maybe, but you will be saved. That's the verse that I came to Christ on. And... Uh, that was a great thing. And then he moved on from there, and he went to Thessalonica. He was there three weeks, and then he went down to Berea. And um, then he wound up, because of uh, persecution, he wound up down in Athens all by himself. And so that's really where we pick up the story in Athens. And he's there, and he's looking around, and he's seeing all these temples. Um, I got a quote from a, um, from a uh, historian. <laughs> Petronas asserted, it was easier to find a god in Athens than a man. They had so many gods there. They had so many temples there. They had so many idols there. And when we look at um, the scripture, when we look at uh, verse uh, 16 of Acts chapter 17, it says this, now while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols, while he was there, his spirit, his spirit was provoked. He saw all this paganism. He saw all this idolatry. He saw all these people being so wayward outside the family of God. They were lost and gone to a crisis eternity and he was provoked in his spirit. He had a passion. He had a burden for these poor people that, are, that were worshiping idols. That were worshiping things that men can create. And how crazy is that? And we see that he started reasoning in the synagogues with the Jews and with the Gentiles. It's amazing when Paul would always go to a synagogue, he would always start teaching out of the Old Testament. And through the Old Testament, he would try to lead them to Jesus Christ. But when he was talking to a Gentile audience, he would always start with creation. And that's what he's going to do in the sermon. And basically, I want to look at his sermon to see the process he went through, because I think that's the process that we probably should be using in this day and age when we, we come into Gentiles who have no connection with the Bible, have no idea who, who God is, our God is, and have no idea about their Savior. And I know that's the uh, methodology that a lot of mission organizations use this day, and it all comes out of this passage. Next verse says, Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with Jews and with Gentile worshipers, 
and then the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. So anywhere he went, he was telling them about Christ. He was witnessing. He was telling them about this great God who is in heaven. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others say, he seems to be a proclaimer of fallen gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Notice what he's telling them. He's telling them about Jesus. He's telling them about their, the death on the cross. The fact that he bore our sins in his own body as he hung on the tree, he took our place. And also the fact that on the third day he rose again from the dead and he's alive. The tomb was empty and he's alive. He's resurrected. He's seated today at the right hand of God the Father. Now he was talking to Epicureans who were materialists. And they had the idea that material things were eternal. And that's where we get the thought, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Because they believed at the moment that you died, that your body disintegrated and so did your soul. There was nothing left after, after this life. And then we have the Stoics, who were always under control, and they were trying to get, a place, to get to a place of indifference, so neither pleasure nor pain would bother them. And um, we have them sort of being in a fight between the different philosophies. Of course, in that day and age, there were other philosophies. Stoics were really pantheists in a lot of ways, and they believed that God was in everything. And so we see who he's coming to. He's coming to a pagan audience. He's coming to people who have their philosophy. It's amazing to me today uh, how crazy some people are, people with PhDs. You know, they have a PhD behind their name, and they're supposed to be really, really smart. And um, I find that some of the things they say aren't very smart. <laughs> they're not very, <laughs> they don't work. It's not very practical. For instance, this is a pet peeve. You may disagree with me. Pet peeve with me. This global warming stuff. It just drives me crazy. We had a joke up in uh, Buffalo. Uh, we had the worst winter. I've told you this before. 100 inches in the middle of the middle of February, and it was snowing up there today. So we have a lot of snow up there, and the temperatures have been colder than they've been in years. We've record lows, minus uh, wind chills down to 20 and 25. And the big joke is, we're so glad for global warming because it would have been minus 50 or 70 had it not been. And um, I don't believe it. I believe God created this world. I believe God watches over this world. And I think it's going to be God that destroys this world. It's not going to be global warming. It's not going to be anything that man can do to, to mess up this world. Now, we should take care of our environment. You know, we want clean water. We want clean air. We, I mean, these are just normal things. Why would we want to pollute ourselves <laughs> out of existence? But uh, man is not going to destroy this earth. God is the one that's going to destroy the earth. And so we have all these philosophers, and of course they're coming up, uh, they're starting to categorize um, Paul here in verse 18. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods, because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. The idea of babbler there in the Greek is the idea of a seed picker. It's like a chicken picking up different seeds 
And what they were trying to say to Paul was, well, Paul, you've gone to these different philosophies. You picked a little out of this one. You picked a little out of that one. And uh, you've come up with a, a whole new philosophy. And the point is, that was a good thing that they thought that he was a seed picker or a babbler, because what they're going to do is they're going to put him in front of the Areopolis. And notice what it says, And they took him and brought him to the Areopolis, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Here we're in Greece. We're in Athens, which is the capital of the place. And you can see that these people are at ease. They're not working too hard. They got too much time on their hands. And so they're spending it in these debates back and forth, trying to figure out what's the truth and what isn't the truth. Paul shows up and he's got a new philosophy. And because he has a new philosophy, they want to hear it and they want to try to interrogate that and try to see if it's true or not true. And so then we go on to verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopolis and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that all things, all things you are very, I have to say that, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. So he's at the Areopolis which was the place of the court, and that's where people were tried, but they also did public debates there. The Areopolis was up on, on the Mars Hill, and it's called Mars Hill because the Areopolis means the hill of Arius, and Arius was the god of war, and so they're on Mars Hill, and they're going to have this great debate. And all these guys, all these philosophers, all these uh, think tank people, <laughs> they're all going to be there to listen to his presentation. So he has them all in front of him. And what he's basically going to do is preach the gospel to him. But it's amazing how he does it. And um, that's what's sort of exciting to me. He tells them that they're very religious. But then he also looked around town. And he saw that they had a unique temple there. It's verse 23. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this in Scripture, to the unknown God. To the unknown God. So these people wanted to cover all their bases. You know, they had all these temples. They had all these idols. Uh, I, I looked at the, uh, a map of, of Athens in the, in the history there, and I know they had 52 temples there besides the Parthenon, which was the main, um, the main temple for Athena there. And uh, they just were very, very religious. But they found one altar to an unknown god. And this wasn't unknown in, in Greek and Roman culture because... They also had an a, a altar to an unknown god in Olympia and also in Pergamum, one of the, one of the uh, cities in uh, Revelation. And so but Paul takes that, that unknown god and he tries to explain it to them. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. So he's going to be using that altar, the name of that altar. And the first thing we run into is we see that He's going to go back to creation, but he's going to really be talking about a superior God. He's going to be talking about a God that is above all these idols, all these temples, all the worship that they have. And in verse 24, it says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, which is everything, he's a Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. 
So this God is well above your gods. That's basically what he said. He's the creator God. He created everything. There's nothing here that he didn't create. And, of course, we know that from other scriptures. In Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God, Elohim, Barad, created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was out firm and void. And the Holy Spirit hovered over the deep. And in six days, we have creation. Notice in verse 25, nor is he worshipped with men's hands. You can't worship God with men's hands. What do you have to offer God? What can you offer God? You can offer him yourself. You can offer him your praise. But there's nothing you can do for him. There's nothing you can do to help him out other than to be guided by the Holy Spirit. He's self-contained. He's perfect. He's pure. He's holy. There's nothing we can add to him. And that puts us in a place of great dependence. Because he's God and we are not. We're a creature. We're his creation. We're created in his image. We have a divine spark. We have gifts and abilities and things that he needs us to do. He's got a purpose for us. He's got a plan for us. He's got a will for us. He wants us to serve him. He wants us to be obedient. But we can't add anything to him. And so it shows the arrogance of man when we think that we can uh, add anything to God or push him around or tell him what to do. I think that's one of the problems with the health and wealth gospel that we see around the world. Do you realize that in Nigeria, this health and wealth gospel has gone all over Africa? It's come down to Sierra Leone. It's come down to Congo, where we work. And it's destroying people. You know, the idea of we have enough faith. If I have enough faith, I'll be healed. If I have enough faith, I'll be rich. God wants me to be rich. God wants me to be healed. I've seen people that I've known little girl in Sierra Leone who was growing and being discipled, and she came from a pastor's family. She started going to one of these churches. All the little money that she had, she put in that church. She didn't have enough faith. She didn't get rich. And then she lost her faith because she felt betrayed. And the preachers kept telling, well, you just didn't have enough faith. That's why you didn't get what you want. It's gone all over Africa. It's a philosophy. It's horrible. And what we're seeing is that people that get involved in this and they get disappointed in this because it doesn't work that way. Yes, God blesses. God meets our needs financially. God heals us. God helps us. But it's not because we try to exercise faith. Faith in faith. We need to have faith in Christ. We need to believe him. We need to do his will. For some of us, his will is for us to be wealthy. For some of us, we're supposed to be healthy. For some of us, we will be healed. But some of us won't. 
And that's still his will for our lives. It's his will will be done. We read the scripture last night. He will have compassion upon whom he will have compassion. He will have mercy upon he, he upon whom he has chosen to have mercy. It's his will that needs to be done. And when we have that mindset, we're willing to do whatever it is. If he wants to have mercy, he wants to meet our needs, he wants to help us, praise the Lord. But maybe it's not his will. Maybe his will is to allow us to go through some pain, some persecution. Sometimes in our life we're, we're unsettled, we're confused. And maybe he's trying to teach us something. Maybe he's trying to help us to grow closer to him and to be more dependent on him. Because his will is perfect in our lives. He loves us unconditionally. He's trying to take care of us. And he's always trying to conform us to the image of Christ. And sometimes that's a difficult process. I know in my life I've been uh, slapped around once or twice. (laughs) More times. I have a hard head. I have this theory. Here's God's will. You're going down the, you're going down the track here, right? And then all of a sudden, God, tell, God speaks to you through the word. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do something. And you say, well, Lord, I don't think that's what I really want to do. And you go over here on the sideline here. And you're over here, and you get real miserable, and nothing's working. And what God does, you know what he does? He rips you around, and you come right around, and you come right to the same stop sign you had before. And he said, Brian, I want you to do this. No, Lord, I'm doing it this way. <laughs> you go out here again. <laughs> Come back to the same stop sign. <laughs> and finally, you, you learn a lesson, and you go. And the other thing I know is that when you start, start learning about faith, you know, first you have a little faith, and you trust God for little things. And then you have a problem, and you, you exercise faith, and you get stronger. And then, then you have another problem that requires more faith. And he's trying to make us be stronger because he's trying to give us more and more opportunities to have more and more impact and more and more influence of those around about us. And that takes more and more faith. And that's how you build your faith when God is doing it with you and through you. Not because I'm trying to exercise faith and trying to make God because I have faith to meet my need or to answer my prayer. And that's what they're trying to do there. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. It's he who provides, and he's the only one provide. And then it goes on and talks about his sovereignty. Now, this is what's really, really exciting to me, and this is really why I brought this passage up tonight. And I think it's a missions passage. Verse 26. And he has made... And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Do you know what that means? That means that God in his sovereignty, we have a superior God, now we have a sovereign God. In his sovereignty, he has placed the Chinese in China. He has placed the Bahamians in Bahama. He's placed the Haitians in Haiti. He's placed the Europeans in Europe. He's placed the Japanese in Japan. 
That's where he wants them. And that's where they are. And he spreads out, and he has them there. And he's sovereign. It says here that we're one blood. All, all people are one blood. We're all the same thing. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. We're all just human. <laughs> we're just all people. Just happen to live at different places. We have different things that we work through, different things that we overcome. But we're all one blood, and God sovereignly puts us in these specific areas around the world. And what's the reason? Well, the reason is, is because he's a Savior. Look at verse 27. So that they should seek the Lord. Why are these people distributed around the world? So that they will seek the Lord. It's not the Tower of Babel where we all come together and we try to build something up and, and meet God in the air. The point is, he, he, he spread them around the world. He spread us around the world. And the point is, so that we will seek him, so that we will have an opportunity to seek him. So man will realize his need of a higher power, need of salvation, need to have their sins atoned for, need for them to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb so that they will seek him. He's a creator. He's given us the greatest gift that God could ever give, his one and only son. He sent the son to earth virgin born, lived a sinless life, didn't sin even one time. Whole goal was to go to the cross. Went through six trials that were illegal. He was condemned to death as a common criminal. He was executed on a cross. When he was on the cross, he bore your sins and my sins in his own body. Every sin, past, present, and future sin. The anger that God the Father has to me when I go and rebel against his word, when I go my own way, when my pride overtakes me, those sins were put on Jesus. And he paid my debt that I could never repay because he was a sinless lamb of God. And he died there in my place. He took the hell that I deserve because of my waywardness and my uncleanness. So that they should seek the Lord and hope that they might grope, they might feel after or try to experience, that they might try to know, that they might grope for him and find him though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we, have, we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. These people are hopefully groping, trying to figure out life, realizing that they have a hole in their lives, realizing that what they're doing is not meeting their needs, not giving them comfort realizing that there's something that they need to do, something that they have to get connected with. And when they are groping, they're open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean if we have these people who have sovereignly been placed around the world? What does that mean? It means that someone has got to go and tell them 
the gospel of Christ. Those of us who are believers, we already saw that we are ambassadors for Christ. We already saw that we have a ministry of reconciliation. We already saw we have a word of reconciliation to share with the world. So it means that we have to go to the othermost parts of the earth to share the gospel of Christ. And we saw from the statistics that I gave at the beginning of this message that a lot of the work has already been done, but there's still more to do. And I believe today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to get the word out and to see this last harvest come in. And I think that's the things that we really need to be doing in our lives. Now, there's another point here in verse 20, verse 30. It says, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. He's asking everyone to repent of their sin. The whole issue with salvation is sin. If you don't know you're a sinner, you don't need a Savior. And so you have to convince people of their sin. And when they realize that they're sinners, they realize that they're separated from a holy God, realizing they can't have fellowship with a holy God, they need to repent. They need to change their way. They need to change their thinking and receive what Christ has so wonderfully provided through his own sacrifice on the Calvary cause of Christ. And then he goes on and and finishes up, and there are three reactions at the bottom. Some of the people received Christ as their Savior. A few did. Some of them said, no, I don't believe that. And some said, we'll think about it. Those are the three reactions. That's the three reactions you're going to get when you share the gospel, isn't it? You share it, some people will receive Christ. Others I don't know. I'm going to think about it. And others will reject it. But at least you gave them the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And that's a tremendous thing. I want to finish tonight using one of your missionaries. Um, we showed some of the Bibles that he provided there. We could never show his face because there's a price on his head. And um, I hate to even use his name. I've used it here um, before. Hogob Shakarian. We call him Abu Sad because we don't want people to um, we don't want people to track him down. Basically, he's a great man of God. I told you, I think, in the Sunday school class that he's already planted churches in, in eight um, Muslim countries, including Iraq, Iran, Syria. Lebanon, Egypt, Jordan, Libya, Oban, and Sudan. And he is just a wonderful guy. The, the little camel, do you remember seeing the camel on there? That camel, I was there, that camel is a three-day-old camel. His, the mother camel was, was, was standing there near him. Do you realize that that camel was this high? And he was in his mother's belly. <laughs> can you imagine that? I can never imagine that. This little guy, he was there and he was, he was, you know, he was tripping over himself. He couldn't stand straight. But it was really funny to watch him. But Hogob went out to these Bedouins. He has ministries to Druze, to Gypsies, and a whole bunch of other people. But these are Bedouins because nobody cares about them. Nobody likes them. Even the government won't help them. They had a disease with their animals, and the government had the vaccine to save their animals and wouldn't even send it out to them 
because they hate them. That's why we got a, vet, a Christian veterinarian and we took the medicine out and saved our animals. But how God would go out there and try to minister to these guys and he'd sit down with them and he'd talk, they're all Muslims, and he'd talk to them and uh, they would say, well, we're Muslims, but nobody cares about us. You know, who's Muhammad and, you know, who's Jesus? Nobody cares about us. So we take the veterinarian out and start saving their animals. And uh, he had already noticed that the, the, the men thought more of their animals than they did their three or four wives and 30-some kids that you see on a compound. And um, because of that, these people are now open to hear the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And some of that was depicted in that, that uh, one uh, presentation there. And he's just a great man of God. And what you need to do is pray for him, pray for safety for him and for his family, and pray that God will continue to keep his good hand of blessing upon him and continue to open doors for him. He's the one that found the, the printing press. Uh, we were printing Bibles down in Egypt, but when they blew up <laughs> with the um, change of government and all that kind of stuff, uh, we had no longer had access to that, so we, he was looking for another place to print not only Bibles, but also Sunday school materials and other things. And finally, he ran into this Muslim printer who, for some reason, uh, really likes uh, Hogob and his ministry. And so he went out and bought a special printer that'll print Bibles on Bible paper, this real thin stuff. And um, he'll print the uh, Bibles free. The only cost is for the paper and for the ink, and that costs about $2 per Bible. But then we need to charge $2 more to transport it to different places. Not only do we have to get the Bibles to another country, but then we also have to um, pay Christians to distribute them because they don't have a job and they have no means to get around. So, so it's $4 per, per copy. And uh, the Lord has really blessed that project, and we've been able to... Um, to uh, do that in a mighty way. Just let me um, leave with this one or two thought on the Muslim world, which I think are really sort of exciting. The statistics are that more Muslims have found Jesus Christ, and I have all kinds of illustrations about dreams and those kinds of things, but more Muslims have found Christ in the last 10 years than in the last 14 centuries. Did you get that? More Muslims have come to Christ in the last 10 years than the last 14 centuries. That's a movement of God. There's all sorts of stories of that. I didn't believe in dreams and um, was sort of skeptical five or six years ago when I started hearing about this. But Hagab said it's amazing to him how these people come. And they've seen Jesus in a dream and they've seen him and he's, his presence is so peaceful and so loving. And they're transformed, and they can't get it out of their head. And it's amazing the way it works. They have this vision of, of Jesus, and they want to reach out to Jesus, but they have to come to a Christian. They have to, they have to hear the gospel from a Christian, because in this day and age, we're the ones. We're the agents of the gospel. We're all we have. God's enabled us, commissioned us. We're ambassadors to share the gospel. We're the ones that are supposed to bring in the harvest. We're, supposed to, we're the ones that are supposed to do the work. I have a story here of a, of a, a girl who lives uh, in Saudi Arabia, in Mecca, and every year they have the Hajj, and that's one of the five pillars of Islam, and all these people come, millions of people come there, and there's no, no one there but Muslims. And uh, this girl, she did her Hajj, she did the seven, 
Seven walk, the big walk around the rock, the black walk, the black rock that they have to walk around. And she's tired and she goes to bed early because she's so tired and she has a vision of Jesus and she can't figure out how do I find out more about Jesus because uh, she doesn't know. And, and three months later, then she, she goes to, uh, to uh, England, to Jordan, to, uh, to see her cousin. And it turns out that her cousin had seen Jesus as well. And her cousin, because there's more freedom in Jordan, he, she was able to get on the Internet and Skype with Christians, and she was able to get a Bible and some biblical materials. And so when this gal comes, her name was Alicia, she, her and her cousin go in the room by themselves and close themselves off. And uh, they read the Word of God together. And um, they receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And then they have this plan. They want to start evangelizing. So they, she goes back to Saudi Arabia, to Mecca. And they, because the cousin is a seamstress, they uh, fix up her, her uh, Muslim garb. And she's able to take 20 Bibles in her Muslim garb. And she gets on the plane and she flies back to Saudi Arabia and she goes to Mecca. And the day she gets there, all 20 Bibles are disseminated just that quick. And then she's home, and all of a sudden her sister finds out about Jesus, and her sister receives Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. And then five people in the village all of a sudden receive Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. And then they have this idea that they want to have a women's day out, so they go to all the mosques and put up a sign that we're going to have a women's meeting. And they had 200 women come, and they had a, a, a person from the United States go over and uh, talk to these women and a hundred of these ladies received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior in Mecca. So the Christians can't get into Mecca, but the Christians are already in Mecca. What a great blessing, what a great story. And that's just one of them. God is at work today. We need to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus. We need to be thankful for what he's doing. We need to pray that God will continue to reach out and continue to move among these many, many people and bring in this last harvest. I believe it's the most exciting time in the history of the world to live. I think we have this privilege to live in this day and age and to be a part of this because I think we're going to see things that we've never seen before, and I believe the Lord's coming back soon, and I think we will be transformed in our resurrection bodies out of here and be absent and in his presence. So that's what I'm looking for. Father, thanks so much for allowing us to be together tonight. Thank you for this wonderful church. Thank you for Pastor Lee, and we pray that you continue to bless him and meet his needs and watch over and protect him. Thank you for his faithful service over the years. Thank you for helping him and just doing a wonderful discipleship job on this church and the way that they have a, a focus on missions. And, Lord, I'm so thankful for the good work that he's done. And, Lord, I do pray for the new pastor that you continue to help them to just find them, your man, the one that you've already chosen to come here to preach the gospel And, Lord, we pray that you'll continue to have a missions focus and continue to see the fields that are white unto harvest, to pray ye the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. Lord, thank you for the privilege to look into your word tonight. Help us to to be encouraged. Help us to um, keep looking up, for our redemption draws nigh. May the Lord bless us, watch over us, protect us, and help us as we ask it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.